giving grace away. I know that, um, you know, we were just a couple of weeks ago, we had an awesome message on grace um, and that we receive grace. But I'm just feeling the Lord is saying, oh, we need to give it away as well. So let's just have a look at this first verse in 2 Corinthians. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich, it says, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So you see, our generousness for every occasion results in thanksgiving to God. It's a doorway for people to receive Christ. It's a doorway for people to say, I'm thankful for your God and then come to know our God. And isn't that what we want? When we really boil down to it, we want to be made rich, we want to be generous on every occasion, and we want thanksgiving to go to God. Who wants that? Does anybody else want that apart from me? Amen. So there's no need to grasp your wallet or hold tighter onto your purse. I'm not after those two mites that are in there. I'm not going to be talking about finances today because I know that verse is used for that quite often. I want to talk about grace, and I want to talk about bucket loads of grace, something that's within us that we should be able to share with others. So let's just pray. Let's just commit this message to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, dear Lord, that it was your idea that grace for us brings us into your kingdom. So help us, Lord, as this message is shared, that you speak to each one of us, Lord, and encourage us and strengthen us for the course ahead. Let your word, dear Lord, resonate in our hearts and strengthen us, we pray in your precious name. Amen. In the first chapter of John, John the Baptist says this about Jesus, and we actually sometimes miss this as we read through. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But to give grace, undeserved favor, we need to agree on our position with Christ and whether we are actually grateful to the grace extended to us. It's one thing to know that God has given us grace, but it's another thing to be actually grateful for it. So this morning I want to visit some well-known parables um, that you know off by heart probably, but I just want to go through them and just squeeze out where this grace needs to be in our life. Luke 7, we look at this uh, parable here. When a Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life came with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him, and I've paraphrased this because there's quite a lot to read, but I've just made it a bit shorter. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, then wiping them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, so it was in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Now, Jesus knew his thoughts, and he knows our thoughts. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? You know, Simon replied, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you know, Jesus didn't put Simon down. You know, he didn't say, you've got something rotten in your heart. He just said, you've correctly stated. And without putting him down, he said, do you see this woman? He knew he'd seen the woman. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. You know, no matter how often we read these parables, they should continue to challenge us, especially as we get on in years, asking ourselves or asking God, which person am I becoming? Which person am I more like? It's one thing to read a parable and then to know it, but it Am I the Pharisee or am I the sinner? And then sort of next year, now am I more the sinner or am I more the Pharisee? Am I changing or am I, you know, loving you more, God? Are there people we secretly dislike? You know, so-and-so. But whether we like people or not, we can't pick and choose who we give grace to. That's the thing. God doesn't look around this room and think, oh, maybe those guys I'll give some grace to, and maybe that one over there, you know, maybe that one's deserved it. No, it's undeserved favor. Christ is in us, and so we draw on his strength to show grace, even to the difficult ones. Christ's likeness goes beyond just being nice to those who are nice to us. It's being nice to everyone. I just repeat that, everyone, whether they deserve our niceness or not. Grace is not overlooking or excusing offenses against us. It's seeing the greater good. If we want to see people saved, we can't pick and choose who we give grace to. I had a difficult boss. I, might, I mean, I sometimes tell these stories over and over again, but I had a difficult boss, and I, I just didn't like him. But the Lord challenged me and said, you can love him. He understood that I didn't like him. Our personalities clashed all the time. And so I learned to ways through the Lord to actually love him, putting chocolates in his pigeonhole and, and sending him a get well card, you know. And I bought him a Christmas present, an expensive Christmas present at Christmas time. You know, that's love, isn't it? Didn't mean I liked him. <laughs> he rubbed me up the wrong way. But we can love people and show grace to people. And you know that made a difference? That changed him because something in the spiritual realm was going on. I unlocked something up there, and I started to understand this. Think of the last person you spoke badly to or roughly or forced your opinion on them, whether you were right or not. Does anybody come to mind? Can you think of somebody that you ever spoke roughly to? Now, how easily could you go back and share the love of God with them <laughs> after that encounter? That's the problem. 
I like the simplicity of Bob Gass's uh, prayer that he wrote in uh, the 8th of February devotional, the word for today. Today, help me to pour out your grace and compassion upon others. Help me to do that, that they too may experience the richness of your love. That's our prayer, I think. Help me to do this, that that person may experience the richness of your love. So point one for my message this morning is, the more aware you are of your need for God's grace, undeserved favor, the more generous you will be towards those created in God's image. The more aware you are of your need for God's grace, undeserved favor, the more generous you'll be towards those created in God's image. You think back to the Pharisee, how generous was he? He was a good man. He invited Jesus in. He opened his door. Others were able to come in, you know, but in his heart, he didn't see the relationship between him and God. When we see that God has poured out so much to us, then we're in a better position. In Luke 18, 9, Luke writes this little statement as an introduction to the parable of another Pharisee and a tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, if asked, do we look down on people? I'm sure we'd all say, no, not me. I don't look down on people. But what do we really think about some people? Maybe an ex Maybe that council worker or a council representative. Maybe your landlord or your mother-in-law or father-in-law. Maybe your last pastor. You know, what do you actually really think about some of these people in your life? Because if we are thinking bad things about people, then we really need to put our hearts right with God and ask Him to help us to see them through His perspective. Otherwise, grace cannot come. Grace is undeserved favor. So as we go into this parable found in Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two men. Two prayers, prayers that are probably quite common up there in heaven. But Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So my second point this morning is, a true understanding of your daily dependence on God's mercy causes you to be humble towards God and others. And I say daily, because sometimes people might ask for forgiveness once a month. Sometimes I've asked people, do you ever ask for forgiveness? And they say, no. Well, it puts us actually in a position that we see ourselves higher than anybody else. If we don't need to ask God for forgiveness, then we must be fine. I had an 18-year-old ask me once, he just was coming in as an intern, and he because I was probably older, he said to me, you know, do you get to that place where you don't sin? Has, has anybody got to that place? Give me a wave, please. And I sort of thought, well, maybe that would be nice, you know, before I answered him, I thought maybe that would be nice. But then the sudden thought came to me, if I got to the place where I didn't sin, which was probably pride, but anyway, then I wouldn't need the blood of Jesus. Eh? 
And who needs the blood of Jesus? Anybody in here? Who wants the blood of Jesus? Amen? We want it. We want it to be part of our daily life. So we humble ourselves to know that we have that close relationship through, with Christ through what he did on the cross. In the book, Putting a Face on Grace, Richard Blackaby, I'm just pronouncing that right so you get that, Blackaby, it's important in the story, Blackaby, tells the story of an unexpected upgrade for himself and another passenger unknown to him. It wasn't the airline's fault, but this flight that they were on had its departure gate changed a couple of times, and they had to move in this busy airport from one gate to another, and the mood from the waiting passengers, including Richard, was not the best. Then an announcement came over the public address system calling a Mr. Black Baby to the ticket counter, not Blackaby. Richard was not impressed, but once hearing they were giving him an upgrade, he said his spirits lifted immediately, saying, Mr. Black Baby, at your service. <laughs> but once seated in first class, a second person who had also received an unexpected upgrade was behaving less than graciously. When told the brand of coffee they served, she said, oh, I can't stand that stuff. When the flight attender told her he did not have the necessary ingredients to mix the drink she requested, she snapped, well, what do you have then? When she took her first bite of salmon, she spat it out, complaining it wasn't fresh. How quickly had she forgotten that only a short time ago she was destined to be sitting in cattle class, eating packet nuts, and probably seated between two gridiron players. And how often do we forget the enormous upgrade God has given us? Not only has he taken on our sin, our future sin, our prior sin upon himself, he has personally seen that we were upgraded from kingdom of darkness class to kingdom of light class. Is that a good upgrade? Amen. As it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That we may understand what God has freely given us. Again, it's a doorway to giving others grace. Point number three. If you are truly grateful for God's grace towards you, your upgrade, you will be quick to give grace to others. If you truly are grateful, all right, that's the key, you'll be quick to give grace to others. The next parable we have read or heard many times. So why is it so hard? Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. You know this story, I know. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That's us. 
God has given us such an enormous present, gift, grace, and that everybody we're rough to, everyone we're rough to, we're this guy in this parable. So God isn't rough to us. He's never been rough to me. He said he disciplines us because he loves us, but he's not rough on me. He gives me grace because he knows what I can achieve. So you need to put yourselves in these pictures and say, which one am I, you know, when we're, we're rough to other peoples? I don't know how often you read the Herald, but without mentioning names, there is a well-known couple who both regularly write separate opinion pieces in the paper. I like and agree with them at times, and on other occasions I don't agree. But a couple of weeks ago, I felt the article written about Meghan Markle stepped over a boundary. In the writer's words, it's a theory based on nothing more than a gut instinct, she said. An opinion piece basically putting the poor girl down based solely on gut instincts and feelings. How much nicer would it have been for both the writer and those reading the article to have wished Harry and Megan all the best and given us a few pointers on how she could succeed or some advice from way back down here in New Zealand? Too often we can put people down without really knowing them or their circumstances. You know, they say, you know, walk a mile in a man's moccasins, all right, Uh, before uh, before you judge them. There's something about if you walk a man one mile in a man's moccasins, then you're a mile away from him. Then when he finds out you've got them, <laughs> and again, forgive me if you've heard this story before, but I've heard this story before. But I looked it up, you know, to actually because I'm being an ex-policeman. You want to know if it's right, if it's factual. These stories go on and on. But this is an actual story, and I found the guy who actually told the story. So, um, uh, and in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey shares an experience he had on the New York subway. So, I'll just put a picture up there. It's not his pictures, but anyway, just to show you something. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt like was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. (laughs) It touches me every time I read that. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. 
Stephen goes on to say, you can imagine how I felt at that moment. My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. And, and, became, and because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. My heart was filled with this man's pain. Everything changed in an instant. Feelings and sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Isn't that the case? We don't know. Often, we just don't know what people are going through until we take the time to find out or take the time to get to know them. God's grace is a gift none of us deserves. God's grace recognizes our sin, our anger, our rebellion, and our foolishness, but looks beyond those things because he sees what we will become. God never gives up on us. He knows what we can become. That's why our sin and our setbacks do not stop him from outpouring his abundant grace towards us. And we as Christians, Christ followers, should also outpour or overflow God's riches from within us to everyone. Yes, everyone. Does anybody agree with me? Isn't that something we want to aim at? Is it something that we've actually attained to? Are we fully grace givers to everybody we meet? We're not, are we? We've got a way to go. Me too. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. And the original verse that I read this morning, and you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So I want to encourage you. Apart, just have a think about this. Apart from your close friends, or family, or small group members, how many people from this church have you had home for a meal, met for coffee, or taken fishing in the last 12 months? If I gave you all a slip of paper, apart from those visitors here, and you just wrote down all the people that you have invited, how many pieces of paper would come in? How many names would be on that? What are the chances of some visitors or lonely people or family with kids getting an invite from this church? I think we can do better. I think there are some great people in the church who do this a lot. But I think as a church, we need to be a generous church, and we need to be a grace-giving church. And through us, your, our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We are the body of Christ, and to become grace givers, let's start closer at home. Let us become a grace-giving church, not because we have to, but because we want to. Not because the pastor says we have to, but the Word of God says we need to. Let's start here so that people feel comfortable and they want to invite people in. They say, go to that church. They love you. Which leads me to my last parable for this morning, possibly my last parable. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? I just want to pause there a bit and say, the teachers and the Pharisees didn't want to hear Jesus' teaching. Teach, Jesus was there to teach. He'd come in to teach the people. They just wanted to trap him. And do you know people like that? 
They are always critiquing you or others without giving you helpful advice. They've always got what you're doing wrong, but they never want to say you're doing something right. They're never really interested in what you're saying. They're only interested in their own opinions. Well, the Pharisees were like that, never willing to listen or to learn themselves. Anyway, carrying on. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sirs, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, you can look at faults in anyone. You can find faults in anyone, all right? Even me. You can find faults in me. If that's what you choose to focus on. But grace focuses on what is important because grace really wants the other person to succeed in life. You do this with your children. You know what, they, what you want them to become. Mind you, if you're wanting your kids to become a lawyer or a doctor, all right, I'm just going to recommend that you want them to be in the flight industry, all right, like work for Air New Zealand or work for a travel agent because we've found with five kids, one does. So we had have had a few cheaper tickets, but if we had five kids working in the industry, we could have had cheaper tickets for a long time ago. So never mind the doctor and the, and the, uh, the lawyers. <laughs> anyway. But we, focus, we know that our kids are going to do well, so we're giving our kids grace all the time. We do it at the table. We do it when we're trying to get them dressed. We're giving them grace, and we need to move that on to adults as well. Remember what John the Baptist said, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. You know, the law, you know, the rules, the rules, they had rules, and they had to obey the rules, and that came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a softening there, isn't it, when we're always right, there's a softening there to give other people grace. So summing up. The more aware you are of your need for God's grace under your favor, the more generous you will be towards those created in God's image. A true understanding of your daily dependence on God's mercy causes you to be humble towards God and others. And if you are truly grateful for God's grace towards you, your upgrade, you'll be quick to give grace to others. And I've added another one. Don't wait to be asked. Invite somebody, maybe a, fam uh, a family for a meal coffee, or even fishing. Remember, the measure you use is the measure measured back to you. Anybody who say amen to that? So let's be a grace-giving people. Let's be a grace-giving church. And in fact, I'm going to challenge you. See if you can make an appointment at morning tea time and invite somebody for a coffee or invite somebody for a meal or sit at the end of your long line and watch you bring all your bait back in. You know, It's still fun to be out there doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> All right, if the musicians could come up.
You know, I won't embarrass the person at all, but it's a good story. Somebody came in this morning and was just excited about what God had done in their life. They came in and they shared with me, and it was just wonderful. Something absolutely fabulous, you know, happened. And that's what we should be as a church. We should be coming in with having these... Is that me? Is that everything? Okay, we're back. You know, God has a divine, divine appointment. If you can think of yourself as a jigsaw puzzle piece. Everybody knows what a jigsaw puzzle piece looks like. It's a shape. And you know that that piece only fits in one place in that board. And that's where you're supposed to be. In that place, in that family, in that community, you're that place. So all those edges on your jigsaw puzzle piece interact with all those people. And God has designed it that he'll take you or Paul or Teresa or Sally Ann or John, whoever it is, and that John piece or that Paul piece goes into there because we're going to interact with all those people. So we are God's representative in that piece. So every single connection is designed for us to give grace on our borders. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge for me and it's a challenge for you. So let's just stand up. We're just going to pray that we can be grace givers. Amen. And then we're just going to worship the Lord for a, a briefly. Lord, just put your hand on your heart. If you want to be a grace giver, just signal to God. Put your hand on your heart and just say, here we go. Lord, we want to be grace givers. Lord, we know that we've been hurt. We know that we could have been like that man on the subway, Lord, who, who lost a loved one. We could, we could point at many reasons, Lord, that why we can be grumpy. But, Lord, you're not grumpy to us. You've upgraded us, and we're so thankful that you did that. So, Lord, help us to be grateful and help us to be grace givers to our family, to our loved ones to our neighbors, to our whoever we come into contact with. Help us to go out of this place as grace givers, we pray. In your precious name, amen.